Hello. Salutations. <laughs> Greetings, listeners. That is Sarah. And that is Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. story maybe a few you'll excuse us uh we didn't come prepared for second cocktails for this uh, the second episode we recorded this evening uh emily can you want to get that close to the mic yeah i'm waiting i'm waiting until you stop talking okay i'm sorry to be stealing your thunder rn um we've just decided that we're gonna do two shots of whiskey before this and so emily is opening her whiskey bottle oh there it is well emily what happened with our shot glasses they are full of dust yeah, I tried to blow into one and it got <laughs> dust in my eye. So it's uh, so we were just like, hey, let's just uh, just let's pull some shots. This this is something we should never be allowed to do. You and I in particular. And yet, yet here our we producer are. Producer is encouraging Ryan this. H. Guzman. <laughs> Ryan C. G. Guzman. <laughs> Ryan Penelope Guzman. <laughs> All right, so I've got Jack Daniels, Gentleman Jack, double, double mellowed Tennessee whiskey. You're as smooth as Tennessee whiskey, as Chris Stapleton would say. What is yours? I'm about to take a nice swig of High West whiskey, an American Prairie bourbon. Oh, so that is Rye's favorite. Ryan's Mine, the so bottle good. has about a shot's worth. Yours has like four drinks worth, yeah. so please do not. This one has a handwritten batch number on it. Good Lord, that's some uh, Let's see if any of these have the same Wait, batch what are you looking number. at? Okay, so here's what's going to happen. They're going to take their shots. I'm going to describe to you <laughs> what's happening. what is happening as they do it. Okay, I'm going to set my mic down. All right, goodbye. All right, both of them are... Wait, we're going to take a quick picture because everyone <laughs> needs to see what is happening here. All right, get in there, get in there. Here we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. So they're holding their bottles like they've never held a bottle in their <laughs> lives before. They're weird shape. Um, they're shaped like bottles. They're like maybe too heavy for their feminine arms or something. So I think they've decided they're going to do this at the same time. So I'll count them down. And once they're in between giggles, <laughs> we'll go ahead and do this. They regret the decision. Three, two, one. Go ahead and shoot. Oh, Sarah finished the whole thing. Sarah's going to have to stay here for a while. <laughs> Immediate coughing. Can you hear it? <laughs> my mouth is on fire. You finished my gentleman, Jack. Thank you for your narration, Ryan. Oh, God. That burned. This, oh, oh, wow. That could be yeah. used for decoration, this empty gentleman have, Jack bottle. I have though. an orange runts to. Oh, thank you. We're also splitting a box runs. of runts this evening. All right. Okay. No, we can't put runts on our mouth and then podcast. Wow. Um, wow, indeed. That was a bad My example. My heart really. is so warm. <laughs> I think that's your chest and your esophagus. No, my heart is in the same spot, though. Well, yeah, but I don't think the whiskey went straight to your heart. No, it did. Mm. As, that's, a, that's a backwards Grinch story. Yeah. <laughs> that's how the alcoholic Grinch ends. Okay, wow. Well, like we said, that's us sharing. I mean, for this one, it's two shots in a story. 
Um, but hey, Em, I want to say this is our 10th episode. And I'm really Happy proud of us. Happy 10. Happy 10. It's been a delight. I know. You know what? I almost texted you on Thanksgiving, which just passed for us here in real time and won't be near real time when this comes out in 2020. But I meant to text you on Thanksgiving and say, I'm grateful that we started this podcast and that I get to hang out with you guys every week and we get to do fun stuff. It's the best. I'm very thankful for this. Same girl. I'm glad we're friends. I'm glad we're friends too. Uh, (laughs) 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 We would say that without the whiskey shots. Also, it doesn't hit you that fast. Yeah. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, My gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. No one but our immediate friends and our mothers are listening now through everything that just happened. But do you have a story to share with us this week, Emily? Please tell. I do. So I have kind of a fun story that my father-in-law sent a text to our, like, family text of this article that was like, two moms at a water park solve a crime. And I was like, what the heck? I'm intrigued. So I clicked on it. And then, little did I know, that the crime took place. In Acme, Washington, which is right outside of Bellingham. Which is where you're headed this week. Which in two days I will be flying to to visit my precious Amber, who I miss so much. It was in Acme, Washington? Yeah. Okay. So it's 20 miles outside of Bellingham. And Bellingham is like their biggest city, which like if you know Bellingham. And Bellingham is basically Canada. Like that's how far north it is. It's basically like the last city before Canada. It's, like I said... Like I wrote here, super close to the Canadian border. Um, so this is the disappearance and murder of Mandy Stalvik. Okay. Um, so in June of 1989, Mandy Stalvik graduated from Mount Baker High School in Acme. Um, but before the Stalvik family lived in Acme, they lived in Anchorage, Alaska. And... One day, Mandy's oldest brother, Brent, was out hunting on a military base up there um, when he was shot um, in a hunting accident. Um, Turns out he ended up with 17 bullets in his back. Oh, that's no accident. Yeah. So there was a huge investigation, but ended up with no resolution. No Mm. one ever figured out what happened. Um, It was on a military base. So my assumption is that the military covered it up. And we're never going to get the truth. Yeah. Um, so this whole situation put a lot of distress on the Stalvik family. Of course. And Mandy's parents ended up getting divorced. And Mandy's mom, Mary, um, took the kids and they moved down to Washington. Um, and so the, the November after Mandy graduated high school, she was... Um, at school at Central Washington University, and she comes home for Thanksgiving. Another coincidence. Oh this my gosh, story takes it was place just Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. There you go. For us. For us, not for our dear, not dear listeners. listeners. So the day after Thanksgiving, 1989, she decides that she's going to go on a jog. She has a, a route that she takes. She always she goes running a few times a week. It's same. About, yeah, same. Kidding, yeah, same. It's about five miles. I do seven, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, I found a grammatical mistake. I wrote, she went for a five-mile job. Sure, that she too. She went for a jog. Sure. With her German shepherd. And so the route is basically down her street and back, which ends up being five miles because 
Acme is like super rural and it's like she ends up passing like three houses because everyone's property is like acres and acres. You know what that's like? I do know what that is like. I have a route actually when I do sometimes run when I'm at home and it's out and back and it's only past a few houses. And it's so crazy. I get that. So she puts on her green sweatpants, her high school sweatshirt, her jogging shoes and her Walkman. She sets out on her run. So she um, goes down her street, goes to the creek. And starts heading back. Um, In that part of the country, it's called a crick. Okay, she goes to the crick. Thank you. Um, and her brother Lee drives by her um, and like says hi. And then, so her, her family expected her back. Um, but when she doesn't return, they kind of start getting a little bit worried. But think maybe, oh, she ran into friends or whatever. And it's just chatting. But then two hours later, her dog comes home and she doesn't. Um, and so they like immediately call the police. And the police don't think it's a runaway, which is, like, the opposite of most of these stories. Yeah. They're immediately like, okay, she's been gone for two hours. And she's, like, 17, right? Yeah. So it's not like she's a small child. Right. So, okay. So they try to get the dog to, like, go back to where, like, lead them to wherever Mandy is or last was. But every time they try to get the dog off the porch, it, like, cowers. Hmm. So they're like, something happened. Like, somebody kicked this dog, basically, is what they're thinking. Um, and so law enforcement ends up bringing down a tracking expert from Border Patrol, probably because they're bored because we don't have anybody from Canada trying to immigrate to America. Well, we're just, you know, not worried about them because they're white. That's true. They're white. Yeah. Not as strictly enforced. they're not trying to come here. They've already got to I mean, not not now. Not in the year of our Lord 2019. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay. Sidebar. Ryan and I are old. We like to watch Jeopardy. Sure. I mean, who doesn't? And what I learned is that AD stands for blah, 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 something in Anna Latin. Domini. Which stands for year of our Lord. Year of our Lord. I never knew that. I just thought it was like a thing people said, like, oh, the year of our Lord, 2019. <laughs> so, I mean, I say it to be cheeky. But, yeah. But also BC, before Christ, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. So mm-hmm. it's in the years since Jesus was here. Well, so I was raised... In a cult. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was raised in a, at a very conservative Christian church. Yeah. And was taught that AD meant after death. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no. No, no. I'm sure at some point my teachers, like, corrected me, but it just didn't stick. Because after death would then be the year 33. Because he died when he was 33. Or, or did it, like, start at one then? Yeah, it's Anno Domini. It's not after death. That's, like, a cute, like, Veggie Tales way to talk about yeah. something. But then also, like, okay, never mind. That VeggieTales reference, that's some deep cuts for only a very niche crowd. Yeah. yeah. I think it's on Netflix. VeggieTales? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. It's somewhere. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> so. So the dog won't come off the porch. The Canada, the border. Experts. Yes. Okay. So law enforcement brings down Border Patrol tracking expert. To try and see, like, where she went off course, what happens. So they follow her tracks, and they find that her tracks and the dog's tracks suddenly stop about a quarter mile from her house. So meaning she got into a car, either willingly or not, but there wasn't much of, like, a scuffle. So either, like, somebody held a gun to her and got her to come in the car, or, like, she knew the person, or they talked their way into getting her get in the car. Um... Either way, she gets in a car about a quarter of a mile from her house. Um, 
And then on Sunday, the search continues, and they end up taking boats up and down the Nooksack River. Um, and they end up finding her body in, like, a little alcove bay thing okay. where it's kind of gotten stuck. Um, and she only had her socks and shoes on. So oh, no. her clothes and her Walkman were missing. Um, and the medical examiner determines that the cause of death was drowning. Um, but she was a lifeguard. So everyone says, like, there's no way she just, like, fell in. Well, somebody could have, like held her under or like right. injured her and then put yeah. her in the water and then she drowned that yeah. way. Um, and the medical examiner also found an injury on her head. So like on the top of her head um, that he said probably wouldn't have killed her, but would have definitely knocked her unconscious. Yeah. Which then could have yeah. led to her drowning. So they're thinking that she got hit in the head and then fell in, but she was still naked. So it wasn't really like an accident. Right. It's not like she ran into a tree branch and fell in right. like someone orchestrated it. Yeah. So they also found a bunch of little cuts, like, on her legs. So they're thinking that, like, she ran through a bunch of bushes at some point, like, trying to get away. Um, and then they also found that she was raped, and they collected a semen sample. Um, and so this was, like, 1989. DNA was still, like, super fresh. So, like, most people, most police forces would just, like, ah, semen, throw it away. We don't want that. That's gross. Right. And a few of them would keep it because... You could, I think the one thing they could tell was like secretor, non-secretor, because yeah. they did that They're with like some of the early GSK yeah. stuff before you could do DNA, but it, but it for sure wasn't the yeah. norm for that to be kept. Yeah, but one of the detectives here had just recently been to a training at the FBI. Yeah. Who were the only people doing DNA. There it is. And so this like training was like, hey, DNA is super important. Save your DNA, send it to us, we'll yeah. test it. Awesome. So the detective on this case was like, Oh, DNA, this is important. So they send the DNA to the FBI and they make a profile, but they don't have anything to compare it to. So they're like, Cool, we have a profile, send us, you know, suspects DNA and we'll see. Um, so they end up testing like 30 men who live in the area and none of them match. Okay. They just kind of are like, any man who lives in Acme, give us your DNA. Right. They can ask and you to volunteer. Yeah. But yeah. So, like, 30 people volunteer for it. And they're kind of expecting, like, the person who did it isn't really going to volunteer. But at least we can rule out tons of people. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, the case goes cold. Because they don't have any leads. They right. don't know anything. Until June 2013. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow, that was uh, rather recent. I just realized I have a lot of these cases that take giant jumps. <laughs> also, that was, uh, well, you and I finished school technically December 2012. Did you walk in 2012, Rye? I walked with my class in May of 2013. Oh, nice. So, anyway, I was just. So, this probably happened, you know. Right after I graduated, right after from, graduated. Uh, from college. Yeah. Anyway, it's important to the story. So, a group of moms and their kids are at this water park. Um, and one mom like brought up Mandy's name and then two of the other moms are just like, some moms talking about true crime. Right. Yeah. That was kind of so local us. to them. Yeah. They're us, but sorry, they're, but it's, we're talking about local cases yes. and we're a moms at a water park like okay. in this area. So all of these moms grew up, went to Mount Baker high school. Oh my gosh. Mandy. Okay. Oh, they went to high school yeah. with her. Oh my so gosh. So I think they were younger than her, but obviously they like knew of her. Yeah, of course. Of course you would. Forgot that important detail. So one mom is like, Oh, isn't it so sad? What happened to Mandy? They never figured it out. And one mom, Heather, goes, I know who killed her. And another mom, Marilee, goes, I do too. What? This is some casual water park talk? Yeah. 
Well, they're just watching their kids, making sure their kids don't drown. Sure. Okay. Continue. So they both end up sharing really scary stories about this same guy. His name is Tim Bass. Oh, my gosh. Who went to high school with Mandy, but was a few years older. But his younger brother, Tom, was the same age as Mandy. Okay. Um, so... So it's the not they're not talking about scary events with the younger brother Tom, who's Mandy's age, correct. The older brother. The older brother that these women had scary yeah. in, encounters with. Okay. Which like if you're gonna name your like Tim and Tom kids more confusing names. Well, um, I'm Sarah Schwartz, my mom is Susan Schwartz, so Yeah. My mom once told me that she thought names with alliterations were stupid. <laughs> um and then she became Susan Schwartz and uh, named me Sarah Schwartz. It's fine. My mom has told me she doesn't like my name. She let my dad pick it. So mm-hmm. it's cool, whatever. Oh, sweet. <clears throat> That's nice of her. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. All right, keep going. So um, Heather's story is that when she was in high school, so she was like 15, Tim was about 20. And so her, Tim, and a like group of other kids like go to Dairy Queen. So they're all in like this guy's truck. They're sitting in the back of this guy's truck. And Tim starts to like flirt with her and is like, Touching her nope, leg. Nope, 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 nope. And she's super uncomfortable. Um, and so when they get there, she's like, her, so Heather's boyfriend was also there. She was like, give me the F out. And yeah. just like kind of like totally avoids Tim. And Marilee's story is that when she was newly married and she had a baby at home, her son was asleep in like in his room. And her husband was out at work or something. And Tim shows up at the door like, oh, my gosh, my car died. Or some had some excuse of like, can I please borrow your phone? Mm-mm. She's no, like, no. sure. And so she hears him dial. And then here's the like, beep, beep, the line you were trying to call has been disconnected. And she's like, that's sketchy. And he hangs up the phone and is like, so I've like been watching you and I'm in love with you. And <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And he's like, so we need to have sex right now. Sure, right, right now. And she's like, no. That's a reasonable I'm request. And he gets like super aggressive. And finally, she's like, I'm calling the cops. And so he runs away. Like super, super lucky that like yeah, not lucky. She's super smart to like yeah think on her feet. And it's also just lucky that he didn't have a weapon or, yeah. you know, didn't, you know, that like he did run away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they contact the police and they're like, okay, it's been a long time. We've been scared to like come to the police and tell them that this guy is suspicious because, you know, they all live in this tight community. Yeah. Yeah. Like they know him. If like the police start investigating and people find out that they're the ones who like reported him, like they were just scared. And so, in 2013, he was living with his wife and his three kids, like, a town over. Yeah. Um, and he's working as a delivery, a delivery man for, like, a bread company. So, like, he drives a bread truck. He shows up to this building and picks up bread and takes it to, like, grocery stores in the area. And so, the police start, like, following him. And they're like, okay, he's going to, like, spit gum out or, like, throw away a cup or a cigarette. And we'll be able to get his DNA that way. But he's like super clean he like cleans the truck out is like super careful does never throw like food away or anything like that um and so they go to like the bread company and talk to his manager and they're like we're we're like investigating a person of interest like can we have um one of your employees dna and she's like no i can't do that and then later she like hears rumors that they're looking into tim for the murder of mandy and she goes back to the police and says like 
was Tim the person that you want DNA for? And they're like, we can't really tell you. She's like, I will get you his DNA. If and why did they ask her? What did they think? She was going to collect DNA from everyone who worked there? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, right. I mean, glad she's down yeah. for the cause, but. So they're like, we can't ask you to do that, but if you brought us something, we would right, we wouldn't, it. Right, we wouldn't say no. Yeah. So she ends up, like, kind of watching him when he's there, and he ends up, like, at a water cooler, taking a drink of water from a cup, throwing it away. And as he walks away, she, like, picks it up and takes it to the police. Well done. Yeah. I can't remember this lady's name. I was going to call her Mandy, but that's the girl that died. Yeah. Yeah. She ends up, like, meeting with Mandy's mom, Mary, at the end of this 2020 that I watched about it. Oh, my gosh. I can't. And she's like, I I didn't. So the lady who got the DNA to Mary is like, I didn't even know you, but I did this for you because you need answers. I can't. And they're both just, like, crying, and it's so cute. So, anyways, the DNA matches. Of course it does. Um, so they arrest him and he's, they're like, do you know Mandy Stolvik? And he's like, I've never even heard that name. And they're like, huge red flag because you live in this tiny town. Yeah. It's suspicious. If you had never. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he found, like, they say like, no, we have your DNA. Your DNA was on her. And he's like, okay. Yeah. 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 I was sleeping with her. Like we were having an affair. Right. Basically. Classic line of defense. They're like, yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. No one really believed it. Um, So they take him to court, and Tim tries to convince his brother Tom to say that he was also sleeping with Mandy to kind of, like, you know, make her seem like she was... Slutty and like she deserved to be murdered. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom goes, yeah, no. And he testifies against his brother. Wow. He goes, yeah, no, my brother tried to convince me to lie. Oh, my gosh. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. And... Tim's wife also testifies against him, and she had originally, when he was first arrested, given him an alibi. And she later, in trial, like, recants it and then shares all these crazy stories about how abusive he was. And she was like, I was scared of him, but, like, now that he's, like, in jail, I'll, like, say all this stuff. And so she tells stories about how, like, he used to tell her, like, I could get away with murder. Oh, my gosh. Like, if you ever leave me, I'm going to kill you. Wow. Or, like, I killed a girl before, I could kill you, like, things like that. And so, he ended up being found guilty, and he was sentenced to 320 months, or 26 years. (laughs) Okay. Is that like like we're measuring a baby's age all of a sudden with our prison sentences? But, okay, 26 years. 320 months old, (laughs) which is stupid. He should be given life. Right. But if he's in his 50s, 40s or 50s now, he should still be given life. He'll be... What, 80 at the... I'm just saying, it's better than being, like, 20 yeah. and given 26 years. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's amazing that, like, these two moms, like, had yeah. this story. It's just, moms like... Moms at a water park. Yeah. Wow. Okay, can I have a mini rant about small towns and crimes yeah. against women and what this made me Please. think of? Um, so, first of all, excellent job. I didn't, Sorry, did I cut you off at the end of your story no, there? that was it. So... In my hometown, I also come from a small town. Um, in my hometown, in the Pacific Northwest, in the Pacific too, Northwest, right? weirdly enough. Um, so I come from a small town, and I've been following this case that has actually been unfolding in my hometown. There hasn't been a lot on the internet about it um, because I think the girls involved are minors, and so like the details are scarce. But of course, my family knows everyone. 
And so I've been getting details that way. Um, so there is a man who's been on trial for um, molesting two girls. And he's like a prominent like community leader. I'm not going to give like a ton of details. You could look it up if you wanted to. Um, but like two or three girls have come forward saying that he molested them while they were sleeping over at his house because they were friends with his daughter. And it has been this like big thing because like he was a prominent like church leader at this very big church in our oh town. No. Um and it, like, I ha obviously, like, haven't been home during the thick of it, so I haven't, you know, been in the real mess of it all, but, like, you know, so many people have been coming to defend him, and this is, this is not me saying one way or the other, like, he was just convicted of, like, a, a bunch of counts, um, I haven't, I wasn't there for the testimony, I haven't seen the evidence, like, I, I'm not saying, like, one way or another, like, if he's guilty or not, um, but the impulse to protect some like because most abusers, most people who commit acts of violence against women, especially vulnerable young women, are going to be intimates of those women. They're yeah. going to be people that you know and love and trust. Like we spend our whole lives preparing our daughters for this like shadowy figure in an alley scenario, which yeah. we should be preparing people for yeah, because it happens. Because it happens, but it happens like three percent of the yeah. time. The the rest of the time, it's going to be somebody you know, you yeah. love, you trust, and yet we don't prepare people for. And that's why so many survivors of sexual violence or, or of like those, those situations that aren't quite violence, but yeah. are still not good and not acceptable. Don't come forward because women are raised and trained to not cause a fuss or a stir, yeah. especially when it's someone that like they know and love, yeah. you know, or like, even if they didn't know and love him, they, I'm sure they like went to, they went to school with his brother, yeah. you know, they, all, all this stuff. And so like, I think it's such an important thing to talk about that, like I think of, um, <clears throat> so I heard someone say this week about this particular case that um, the defense attorney was trying to introduce to the trial that these girls had written this man thank you notes for hosting a small group in his home and like how like complimentary they were of him. And this was like after the alleged yeah. molestation. And, and this person who was like totally like sincere and like good hearted in this questioning was like, well, I think they should have allowed that into evidence because, you know, why would you write someone a thank you note and, like, thanking them for being wonderful and all this stuff, like, if they abused you? And I had to say, that's not, that's not how, how works. this works. Like, especially in tight-knit communities yeah. like that, when, and again, I'm not saying one way or the other right. that he did or he didn't, but it's entirely possible if the majority of people who abuse young women are beloved intimates yeah. that, like, that does, like, you're going to keep... Especially, like, the girls, if they told their parents, probably most of the parents were like, no, right. that didn't happen. Right. You're going to ruin his life. But also, like, I'm sure that the girls who wrote the thank you notes, their parents made them write the thank you notes. Right. Like, no little girl is like, I would like to write a thank you note. Like, right. that's just not how it and works. And, like, you talk to adult survivors of abuse who are, like, so confused and conflicted because they're like, I loved this person. Yeah. You know? So it's it's not like those things can't coexist. Yeah. Um, like, I think of, like, this does not reach the level of, like, sexual abuse, but... One time, I was, a few years ago, I was getting a massage, and um, I remember feeling, like, pretty uncomfortable already because, like, I had an appointment, like, late at night, and, like, you go into this room alone, and yeah. it was a male masseuse, and, like, I had a membership at this place. Like, I'd had male masseuses before. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care about that, but I remember just thinking, like, it's late. I'm in this back room. You know, my spidey yeah. senses are, like, always tingling, and... Um, 
you know, they always ask you if they haven't massaged you before about like pressure and like da da da. And and like I was in grad school and super tense all the time, so I was like, do what you got to do yeah. to like loosen me up. And he was like, and I said like I, I made a joke like no pain no gain or something. And he goes, oh you like it like that, huh? And this is like minute four into our massage, and I was just like, <laughs> and just like shut up. And all I could think for the next like forty five minutes was, and he didn't touch me inappropriately, like, but yeah, but I was. But he ter- made you feel uncomfortable. He made me feel uncomfortable, and, and I was terrified for the next forty five minutes. And when you want to know what I did when I walked out and paid, I tipped, tipped him, him because I didn't want to be a bitch. Yeah, and. I finally came to my senses in the next couple of days because, like, I wrestled with, like, do I call? Do I not? Like, don't make yeah. a big deal. What if he really needs this money? Like, what if he loses yeah. his job? And I ultimately called and had, like, a wonderful manager that I talked to that was like, no, we need to hear these kinds yeah. of things. Like, this is important. Anyway, that has been my soapbox for this tale of small towns and creepy men. Um, we'll come back to creepy men. Like, later. Like, I promise. This isn't the last time we'll talk about creepy <laughs> I mean, this might as well just don't be, worry. like, the name of this podcast. So, I'm just saying that um, don't be afraid to speak up and speak out. Yeah. <sighs> and let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Did I cut you? Did, was there any more of that story? Did I cut you off prematurely? I'm sorry if I totally just no, grandstanded you. I f- didn't want to interrupt you and thought of this in the middle of what you were talking about. Is Go that, like, the police like when they went back and like looked over everything there because they were like we looked at every man who lived in acme like why didn't we look at this family and they realized that like they just got glanced over because like when they were looking at the list of like all the people who lived there they were like oh the basses like they're a great family they wouldn't do anything like that yeah so they didn't even like go to their house yeah ask for dna from anybody yeah because like they were a good nice family and he ended up living on her street oh, so he lived on the I feel same like anyone street. who lived on that street should have been looked at yeah. seriously i mean i'm sure it was super overwhelming when you don't have anything to go off right. of but everyone is suspect yeah. is what i'm saying and it was around the same time that the green river killer was out there so yeah. they were like a girl in a river like yeah in the pacific northwest murder city like, man yeah it was a doozy up there for yeah. a while wowza really good story well told Thanks. Good job. Shout out to Amber and Bellingham. Shout out to Amber and Bellingham. You're going to go in, see uh, soon. 48 hours. Let her uh, but w- let her do a tidbit to tell a I fun will. story. Yeah. And uh, record it on your phone or something. Yeah. We'll play it later for you guys. Are you lucky, lucky listeners? Okay. Mm-hmm. Emily, are you ready for this story? Yeah. I'm going to kick back and eat some more runs. You should do that. This is the, don't worry, Ryan, survival story of Barbara Jane Mackle, you know what? I shouldn't have said that she survives, but I feel like, but it's take it back, Ryan. Take it back. I out. take it back. I cut it out. She dies. <laughs> she dies. The death story. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. In the winter of 1968, Barbara Jane Mackle was a pretty and popular 20-year-old student at Emory State University. My brother used to call me Emory. Oh, that's funny. That's really cute. Yeah, I like that. So she's a student at Emory State University. She's the daughter of a Miami-based millionaire who owned one of the biggest land development companies in the country. Donald Trump? Donald John Trump. (laughs) I just love saying the middle name. Uh, uh, So that December... Is it like short for Jonathan? (laughs) No, it's Donald John Trump. Interesting choice there. Yep. Wish his father had hugged him more. Okay, um... So that December, 
the flu hit the campus with a vengeance, like a really severe flu. And the school infirmary was full. So when uh, Barbara's, when Barbara got sick, her mother drove up from Florida to take care of her. Um, they like, she like rented a hotel room. was like, I'm going to take care of my daughter. Christmas break is right around the corner. I'll like get her back to health and then we'll drive home for Christmas. And she's a millionaire, so she can do that. She can hundred percent do that. And also like, I would hope any mom would do that because yeah. like if she has nowhere to go and she's super, super sick. So the mother and daughter are at a hotel together in Decatur, Georgia, when there is a knock at the door. They open it to find two police officers who say that Barbara's boyfriend, Stuart, had been in a car accident. They step inside, like presumably, you know, like if you open, you open your door and it's like two cops and they're like, we need to tell you the details of this thing. Like, I would let them in, yeah. you know, like no questions asked. And like you're with your mom, you know, you're at a hotel, there's people around. Yeah. So they step inside, presumably to fill them in on the details, but instead they attack Barbara and her mother. How did they know about Barbara's boyfriend? Uh, I have no idea. Like they must have, like this girl, baby girl was targeted. So like yeah. they must have been stalking her because like even to know that she was at that hotel. Right. Right. What like she's not, she was she's in? not at her room on campus. Right. Bananas. Is she like, is her family like famous? They're like fairly well known because they're wealthy, but okay. like they're not like tabloid famous. Okay. Um, so they bind and gag Barbara's mother and put a cloth soaked in chloroform over her oh mouth. No. So Where do you she get chloroform. Honestly, I feel like what purpose is it serving except for these kinds is it of like incidents? A cleaning solution? I don't know. Like I'm I'm it must serve Never some mind. sort of purpose, but like it feels like just bad guys have their hands on it all the time. So they they bind and gag her mom. They cover her mouth in chloroform. She passes out. They force Barbara into the back of their waiting car. So they know, obviously, they've bought themselves some, times, yeah. some time because the mom has yeah. passed out. Then they drive about 20 miles into a remote area in Gwinnett County, and they take her out into the forest. Stay out of the forest. I know. Seriously, shout out MFM. Um, it's there that they force her to get inside a fiberglass box. What? that they had previously, like some pre-planning and work had gone into this, that they had previously placed at the bottom of a hole in the wooded area. Basically, they're making her get into a coffin in a hole. A clear coffin. A, well, I don't know if it was clear, well. maybe. Is fiberglass always clear? Maybe. Sure, why not? So they make her sit in this box that's in the hole in the forest. They shove a sign that says kidnapped into her hands and take a picture of her. One of the kidnappers tells her that the box has food, water, a blanket, a battery-operated light, and a ventilating fan, and a pump to get a, rid of water should it rain. The supplies and batteries would last a week if she used them sparingly. He then starts hammering screws into the lid and encasing the coffin-like box in dirt, burying the screaming girl alive. Jesus Christ. Right? Barbara pounds, maybe it's good that I told you guys she survives or else yeah. like I might, yeah. Because when I was first reading this story, kicked off this I would be done. Right Ryan would have to, would have to take over for me. He would just talk about sports. It would not fit thematically. No. Um, so Barbara pounds frantically on the lid only to hear her captor say, don't be such a baby. Oh my God. So a few hours later, 
the phone rings at the Mackle house where Robert Mackle, Bar- Barbara's father, is told that his daughter is buried in a box in the woods and that she would die there unless they paid half a million dollars in ransom, which in 1968 um, is uh, in 1968 money is equivalent to three and a half million dollars today, which I don't know, still seems kind of low. Right. Like if you're going to pull off this heist, I want at least $10 million. Um, so the instructions were that the ransom was to be put in a single suitcase and Robert was to deliver it alone. If Robert agreed to the terms, he was, this is crazy. So if he agreed to the terms, he was to put a classified ad in the Miami Herald, he, which he did. And it read, Loved one, please come home. We will pay all expenses and meet you anywhere at any time. And that way, though, like someone just reading the paper, reading the classifieds would have no idea what was going on. But that is how he signaled that he agreed to it. So two days later, Robert Mackle received another call uh, telling him to drive to a designated spot um, at Biscayne, Biscayne Bay and telling him to leave the ransom and drive off. So he does as he's told, um, but a neighbor in the area, after hearing noises and thinking that it might be burglars, calls the police. The officers who responded to the call didn't know about the drop-off, obviously. I feel like this is a classic law and order scenario, too, where, like, they're trying to pull something off, and then some, like, rent-a-cop is like, hey, what's going on here? And, like, totally messes up the whole thing. Um, And after seeing two people coming out of the woods, the police give chase. The kidnappers drop the suitcase filled with the ransom money and run off. Police find a boat and an abandoned blue Volvo nearby. And in the car, police found the Polaroid of Barbara Mackle, dressed in a red and white flannel nightgown that she had been wearing when she was abducted, when she was holding the sign that said kidnapped. Right, with the sign that said kidnapped. Oh, my God. So, Robert... Barbara's dad is obviously devastated by the failure of the ransom drop-off and issues a press release addressed to the kidnappers, telling them that he had nothing to do with the botched pickup. Like, he had not been the one who called the police. That was not his jam. Amazingly, this works. And Robert gets a telephone call instructing him to drive to a dirt road west of Miami, which I feel like it works one, because they're dumb, but also because they really just wanted money. Yeah. So they were like, okay, however this gets into our filthy little hands. And how long has it been since they basically this buried is her? Like, um, I think this is like three or four days later. Jeez. So bah, 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 he gets a telephone call instructing him to drive to a dirt road west of Miami, and he leaves a suitcase of money. Um, and then, then he did as he was instructed and waited by the phone with his wife, who's obviously like, come home um, and with the members of the FBI. So at 3 p.m., because they're waiting for like instructions about where to go find Barbara. So at 3 p.m., the phone rings. It's one of the kidnappers with vague directions to Barbara's location. Over 100 FBI agents rush to the area, the voice on the phone described, and start frantically searching through the dirt. Um, Finally, an agent hears a faint knocking and the search team starts digging through the earth with their bare hands. Oh, my God. Right? They're just like... They didn't come prepared with shovels? Well, I think they came prepared, but, like, as soon as they heard the knocking, it was, like, whatever, yeah. however, like... And also, I think if you can hear the knocking, that's got to be close-ish to the that's surface. True. But, st- I, like, they're so frenzied, I would guess yeah. that... Yeah. So, 12 minutes after hearing the knock, Barbara Mackle emerges from the fiberglass box... Dang. 
weak, but very much alive. She had spent a total of three days buried underground. As one of the FBI agents carries her to the waiting car, she cracks a joke, telling him with a small smile, you are the most handsome man I've ever seen. Oh, my God. (laughs) He probably was, though. I mean, he was an FBI agent. Well, and if he's rescuing you from a fiberglass box underground, I don't care if he looks like a toad. Like, yeah. Then FBI director J. Edgar Hoover personally informs the family that their daughter has been found and rescued alive. So, police had found a registration card with the name George Deacon in the car that the kidnappers had abandoned at the first botched ransom drop. They eventually traced Deacon to the University of Miami, where they realized he built ventilated boxes for a living. Oh, my God. Crazy. What's the use for ventilated boxes? What's the use of ventilated boxes at a university? I don't know. They eventually, blah, 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 ventilated boxes... Deacon's boss provided the name of Ruth Eisenman Shear, who also worked at the university, as someone Deacon spent time with. The FBI was, so then the FBI is contacted by a man in, local man in Georgia around the area where they found her, claiming that he had just bought a small trailer from a man and found some odd paperwork inside. The FBI discovers letters addressed to George Deacon and Gary Christ an escapee from a California prison since 1966. And when the FBI compared the prints found in the car to the one found in uh, Gary Christ's prison file or like arrest record, they realized that Deacon was Was Gary Christ. (gasps) So this guy has been, for two years, has been an escapee from a a fugitive from a California prison. Do you know which prison? Mm, Don't know. Um, Which one do you hope it is? I don't know. I just want to (laughs) know. I I know a few. Okay. Um, So the police eventually find Gary Christ near the Florida coast on a boat he bought with the ransom money. That feels like a sound investment. Yeah. Uh, His partner, Ruth Eisenman Shear, managed to evade police for an additional 79 days. Wow. But in doing so, was the first woman to be on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Nice. Way to go, sister. Women making history. Women, it happened. We are just as bad as everyone else. Um, so Gary Christ was convicted of kidnapping and sentenced to life in prison, but paroled after only 10 years. That is stupid. That is insane. Ruth Eisenman Shear was sentenced to seven years in prison, only served four, which is also heinous, uh, and was then deported to her native country of Honduras. Christ's former parole officer, Tommy Morris, said that Christ chose his victim very carefully, quote, he was looking for a rich, tough-minded female, someone who could stand up to the trauma of being buried alive. Barbara Jane Mackle fit that profile. He basically just, like, didn't really want to cause trauma. Well, it's like all he cared about was the money. So, I like, I genuinely think he didn't want her to die because, like, he, like, weirdly put together, the, like, the water pump and the right. food. Like, don't get me wrong. It's heinous as hell. Yeah. But it sounds like he wanted her to be alive. And so in watching her must have deduced that she was tough. Yeah, I guess. Um, so I love this part. Barbara wound up marrying the boyfriend who the kidnappers said had been in the car accident what? the night of her abduction, Stuart. And they had four children and were together for 40 years Dang. when he until he passed in 2013. Wow. Isn't that the best? That is. She has not spoken publicly about her ordeal since publishing a book about it in 1972, um, which I believe was called 
83 hours till dawn, I think. Okay. Um, but she in that book, she says she kept positive by imagining spending Christmas with her family and not allowing herself to think that she might not be rescued. Um, so two movies have been made about her kidnapping, The Longest Night in 1972, and then also I think this movie was the same title as the book, 83 Hours Till Dawn in 1990. And that is the remarkable survival story of Barbara Jane Mackle, Buried Alive. That's insane. Is that not the nuttiest? That's insane. <laughs> I, and just the fact that she, the, she marries that boy... And like comes out of that unscathed. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Is wild to me. I try not to think about it too hard because I am claustrophobic. I know, me too. I was just going to say being buried alive nope, is like nope, one nope, of my nope, worst nope. fears. No, nope, nope, nope. Because I feel like this is going to be weird and Ryan is going to shake his head at this and be upset. I feel like if it's like, okay, if I'm like thrown into the lake sure. or like almost any other situation where I feel stuck. I feel like I could just kill myself. You but would s- wish to die. Right. Like, rather than be, yeah. You, But, like, you're stuck in a box buried alive. Mm-hmm. You can't kill yourself. You can't, you ha- just have to wait to die. Yeah. And she made it. Yeah. And the fact that she was That's able nuts. to joke with that FBI agent yeah. while she's being carried out of there. I thought you were going to say that she married the FBI agent. That would be pretty, that would be a great meet cute. But I like that it was yeah. the boyfriend. Plus, I'm, he's probably, like, way older than her, so it was pro- would have, yeah. probably would have been weird. Probably. Um, but, yeah, that is the remarkable story of Barbara Jane Mackle. Wow, I've never heard that story before. Me either. I, I I think because the last the one I did last episode was so dark, I was like, I need a survival story. Um, yeah, we need a hero girl. need a hero girl. We're all about serial killer power I guess ladies. But a bad dude. Because I don't even yeah. know what he was in prison for in California. but And just the fact that that's how they found him and that he was an escaped prisoner. And, yeah. yeah. That's nuts. Um, yeah. So this is the point of the show where we transition to our detox question, where we get the murder out of our systems yep. before we sign off. Um, and you have a question for us, I huh? do have a question for us. Um, so, Emily, what would you say is one of the best compliments someone has ever given you doesn't have to be the best because then people do a lot of when you ask people questions what's like the best people do a lot of hand-wringing about like but what was the top the pinnacle that's not the point of this question the point of this question is what is a like wonderful compliment that someone has given you that sticks in your mind so one time i was in one of my what are you laughing at ryan that i have a story ready one time I was in one of my sociology classes, mm-hmm. like my last semester of college. And like I sat in the same spot. There were maybe 10 people in my class. It was like really small. And I don't even remember who it was. I don't remember if it was a girl or a guy. But whatever I was wearing that day, they looked at me and they were like, has anyone ever told you? What? Because Ryan knew the story as what soon as he started talking. What do you think? Finish it. That you look like Emma Stone. Yeah. Wow. That. For number one, I see that in yeah. you. And and number two, that's a fantastic compliment. Okay, so the person looked at me and goes, has anyone ever told you that you look like Emma Stone? Out of, yeah. And that's I the biz. was floored. Yeah. I can, do you remember Honestly, who told do you? Remember I don't. Who, okay. I don't remember if was it was a guy or a girl. Or a guy. You're just like, that is lodged yeah. in my heart. That's beautiful. I'm sure I was wearing a black dress, black tights. As was your ensemble. Tortoise shell glasses. My hair was probably red or maroon at the time. Nice. Which I think Emma's was at the time. Yeah. 
That's a good one. I get it. That's what a really about you? good one. Um, I would have to say the first one that like comes to mind because it's recent um, was given to me by a friend of the podcast, Anne Marie Patey. Is her middle name? Her, her middle name actually is Marie. Um, uh, she and her social security number, and her social is, security number one, is one two three. <laughs> she, her address name <laughs> is Smith. Um, I really hope it's not Smith. I don't know. No, it's not. It's not. Um, I only know that because like Anne, Natalie, and I's grandparents all died at like the same yeah. week a few months ago, and her grandpa was her mom's dad, and it was not Smith. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we had a real string of bad luck there. I know. <laughs> um, so anyway friend of the podcast, Anne-Marie Patey, she told me that I was a safe person to confide mm. in. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. And I like that that is what at least one person in the world thinks. So that was very kind of her. I'll second that. So oh, shucks, M. Stop it. You're so kind. You're so nice. Ryan's probably told me a secret or two in, in the day. Or at least they were secrets then. Like, I'm sure you yeah. know all of them now. But I don't know. If Ryan told you back in college, he's probably forgotten it. He probably has forgotten it. That's true. <laughs> Ryan's like, I do not like this. And now this is the part of the podcast where we roast Ryan. <laughs> Maybe that should be our new detox. Yeah. Don't Just forget. Kidding. We love him. We do. We love him so much. Um, don't forget, uh, if you're listening to us and you're here for 10 episodes in, we're so grateful yeah. for you. Thank you so much. I know. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe us. Yep. And, uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever yeah. you get your podcasts. Maybe Stitcher. Could be Apple Podcasts. Spotify. Yeah. Probably Apple. Just, you know, let us, give us some feedback. Yeah. Um, we're always interested in knowing your uh, detox questions or odd stories that you have in the world of true crime. Yeah, seriously. Emily, what is our email address? Our email address is lw. True crime at gmail.com. That's LW true crime. <laughs> I always do that. And I like I it. Know. At gmail.com. In a previous life, Sarah was a PBS announcer. <laughs> Made possible by viewers, viewers like, like you. you. Um, follow us on Instagram. We are lightweight true crime at Instagram. <laughs> at, at, at Instagram. Instagram. Um, Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive, but drive and listen. But to drive us and listen while drinking. sober. Um, and we just, uh, we're really glad to be here and yeah. to be doing this for 10 whole episodes. I know. That was Sarah. That's Emily. Cheers. That's Sarah. Oh.